Hi, I'm Desiree. Hi, I'm Beth. We're two friends whose paths serendipitously cross, searching for our own healing from chronic illness. While our journeys are uniquely our own, what we've learned is that healing lies in the process of forgetting who we were taught to be and remembering who we always were. Even though this journey can feel impossible, it's also an invitation into the greatest gift one can ever receive. So we're here to remind you that you're not alone. In the depths of chronic illness, we can choose to grow community built on love and grace. These stories are the medicine we hope to share with you in this podcast as we explore what it means to be in the process of 100% healing. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. We're so honored that you're here. Today, we have my dear friend Eunice Brownlee on. Eunice has spent her life telling stories across many mediums. As a multi-passionate creative, she's used photography, marketing, writing, and public speaking to connect her message to the world. Because the heart of building community begins with sharing stories, Eunice uses her stories to connect, heal, and inspire change. Eunice spends time teaching others the craft of story in her speaking and writing practice. She has coached speakers in telling their stories with Women Speak and TEDx Folsom. Eunice's writing has been published in Jennifer Magazine, Mother's Scope, and Spoken Black Girl, to name a few. When she's not doing any of the above, she can be found seeking her next passport stamp and drinking wine. Follow her on Instagram at Eunice Brownlee, spelled E-U-N-I-C-E-B-R-O-W-N-L-E-E. And we can also add that into the show notes. All right. So um, I'm super excited. Eunice is a dear friend of mine that I've known for, gosh, we've known each other like, what, six years now? Six years next week, in like two weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, in two weeks. And we know this is a big date. (laughs) Yeah. Uh oh yes, a week Wait, a week and a month. That's it. <laughs> the day that we started our business, which was October 4th, 2017, um, Eunice saved our bacon and just like came in and rescued us and helped us so much. We have since grown to be friends and I just love this woman and so appreciative of her. And I'm so excited that she's here today to share her story. While it may not fall into like the traditional realm of the chronic illness community, although I think there are some links and ties there, um, she just has an incredible healing story. So I could not wait to have her on. And I am just excited for you to share, Eunice. Feel free to dive in to your story with wherever feels best to you, wherever you feel most comfortable. Thank you so much, Desiree and Beth, for having me. This has been so exciting. Um, Just because like we said before, you were getting a front row seat to some of the the worst part of that story. And when we were in the thick of things and really just at a point of, I don't know when any of this is going to end. And I feel like whether it's chronic illness or it's trauma, which is what we were dealing with, it that is a common theme, right? Is that there is a point where you hit maybe not quite rock bottom, but you're just like, oh my gosh, is this my life now? Is this ever going to end? Mm. So um, I, I'm trying to think about where the best place to jump into this story is just because I could start at the beginning, which I suppose is a good place to start. But sometimes, sometimes it feels more right to kind of start maybe in the messy middle because I think that's the part where most people are really struggling and and trying to figure out how to get through to the end. So for the purposes of just setting a baseline, I am a solo parent to a now 17-year-old daughter who is a survivor of child abuse. 
this came on the heels of my very catastrophic, very traumatic experience watching my own parents get divorced that almost ended in my mom getting killed by my dad. And thankfully it didn't. Both of them are still alive, but that was um, a highly traumatic point in time. And that happened in 2014, almost exactly nine years ago. It'll be nine years next week. And um, it's funny because I had the end of 2016, I had started going to therapy because I needed to process what the heck happened in my own family with my own parents and started to reconcile some of the the childhood trauma that I had that I'd never even thought about as being traumatic because as a Gen Xer, it's like, oh, I mean, everybody's parents hit them and everybody's parents left them alone when they were nine and everybody's parents did this. But the more I started talking to my therapist the, and the horrified looks on her face, she was always like, you know that that's not normal, right? And I was like, oh, no, it was totally normal. And that in our day in the 80s, I mean, that was just part of our life, right? She's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> there were a lot of things that you experienced that were very common. None of it was normal. It was common. But also, like, some of these things you were telling me, this was not everybody's reality. And that was a thing that gave me pause. And then that was the end of 2016. And then January 31st of 2017, um, my daughter's father put hands on her in a way that was highly traumatic. And it was devastating and terrifying. And we spent almost eight months in the justice system of just trying to get justice for it. And that was about the time that I met you. It was right at the tail end of our court nonsense with the criminal court. And then we had two more years after that of family court stuff to the point that by November of 2019, I was having regular panic attacks. And I didn't even know that they were panic attacks. It was just like, oh my gosh, get me off this bus. I can't breathe. It's hot in here. I know it's November and I have a sweater on, but I'm like sweating. And um, my therapist is like, you realize that's a panic attack. I think you have PTSD. And it's like, I can't have PTSD. Like none of this happened to me. And just recognizing even from a secondary caregiver perspective, how much caring for other people affects our mental health and affects our physical health and our bandwidth and our capacity that we just don't think about. And so from there, I really got into wanting to learn and understand trauma because it is something that sticks with us. They say the body keeps the score. And I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of you winning body because you've kept plenty of score by now. Um, it has caused several different types of illness for me. I still have a mystery illness from 2021 that I was in the hospital for and never really quite got the root diagnosis of what was going on. I just started feeling better one day after I've been resting for a while, but I still don't know. And I'm like, I'm sure that that was trauma. I'm sure that that was my body literally exercising something. <laughs> so that's kind of the like high level overview of our story and our journey and why this work is so important to me and to just talk about it because we have so much shame in sharing, especially when we're struggling especially when we feel weak, especially as women too. We feel weak. We feel unable to show up in the ways that we think society expects us to. And it's such a challenge to just be able to accept, you know what? 
my body is telling me I need to rest right now. And the most important and most healthy thing I can do right now is to listen and really listen to what my body is saying and not what everybody else and their brother is saying I need to be doing right now. Oh, man. Oh, friend. Just like I'm, I've known your story, obviously, but even just like hearing the recap now, it's interesting hearing it at this point in your healing story because it's like the bird's eye view of that. But knowing the in and out and the day to day and the struggle of what you actually went through. And I think that you're totally right that the, the body does keep score in that sense. Like I know Beth and I talk all the time about how I feel like it's my body that I need to get on board now. Like I've got to change my mindset first and then it's the body that follows suit. And so I'm sure it's probably been similar. It sounds like it's been similar for you too. One question I just like to start with because it it relates to this so much is as far as healing goes. So we named our podcast 100% Healing and it's healing for a reason, not 100% healed is because we talk about all the time it's a process, but then we're also whole already, right? There's this path and like we might experience physical symptoms, but we're already, or at least I I don't want to speak for you, Beth, but I think from all of our conversations, we talk about how we're somehow whole and healed and healing all at once. And so I just was curious if you could share a little bit um, within the context of your story, what 100% healing would mean to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, and I think a lot about what both of you shared in your stories before of even going through that journey of seeking this this final destination and trying all of the things and the protocols and the different doctors and new things. And we're chasing, I, I don't even know what we're chasing because sometimes for me, I started to wonder, am I chasing the normal that I once had without acknowledging that that doesn't exist anymore? I can never have that back. It's gone. It's in the past. I am a changed person because of what I have been through. And while I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy most of what I have been through, I also wouldn't give it back because it has really shaped me into who I am today. And I know that's so cliche, but it's it's honestly the truth. And so I really feel like the healing journey isn't so much about trying to get to a place or trying to get to a certain state or trying to like, I even think about, can I just get more stable right now? Can I just feel like the world isn't caving in? Can I just feel like the pressure isn't going to kill me any day now? And I just want some relief, you know? Um, But I think it goes beyond that. It's really about how am I embracing this growth mindset to accept these experiences that are coming into me and allowing them to change me and shape me into a different person? And how am I showing up as that new person rather than trying to go back to who I used to be? I just think what you said is so very important. And this this idea of trauma being this thing that we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy and also the thing that gives us sometimes the shaping, the gifting. Desiree and I talk a lot about that around whether it's chronic illness in your body, chronic illness in your mind, or both. And I, I tend to think that distinction is arbitrary because that which is in our mind also shows up in our bodies and that which is in our bodies also impacts our mind. But it sounds like you have really come through this process of looking at like I heard you saying like you were in the depths of like, is this my new life? Like, is this where I'm going to be? And also into this place of growth mindset where you're able to say, I can't be going 
toward something that's behind me. And I related the, to that so much because I think for a long time in my own healing journey, I'm seeing from YouTube, the things we've shared with each other, I wanted to go back so much to the woman I was. Like yeah. I wanted to go back to that type A runner, performer, achiever, et cetera. And it took such a process of grief and allowing for me to say, that's actually not going to be my future. And maybe that's okay. Maybe the woman who was actually needs, in my case, to retire or to fall away. Like there was something about that part of me that was really dominant. And it's taken me years. And I remember Desiree, when we became friends, you sharing something with me about like, this has taken me years to get to this place. And I remember thinking like, I can't do this for years. Like, I need to feel better now. Like, I need to know how to do this now. And here I am telling people, like, well, it could take you some years. But it really is like losing a person. And so I guess I'm curious, you know, it's like when you talk about that, you're in like the depth of your, of your struggle. Like, is this my new life to the place where you're saying my future is something different. It's going to be a new normal, something I'm going toward that maybe I don't even know what it is quite yet, but it's not that. It's not the old way. It's not what used to be my life. I'm curious how that process unfolded for you and what what that looked like and what that felt like. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it is like that. Anytime that I say, oh, I was in this for eight months. Oh, I, you know, this process took two years of if I tell people that now, it's that same thing, right? They're like, I don't think I can make it for two years. If somebody would have said that to me when I was in the midst of it, I would have been like, I'm out. I can't do this. Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of mothers that have been in my shoes that have died by suicide because the pressure was just too much. And when you can't see the end of the tunnel or you do think you see the end of the, the tunnel and realize it's a train coming at you, <laughs> the pressure has become too great for some people to bear. And so it's really about, I think, especially when I'm in the the depths of it, right? Is with the darkness of the mental health specifically, is I don't try to look at, okay, what's it going to look like in a year from now or a month from now? It's like, let me just get through this next hour. And sometimes it's 15 minutes, right? And it's kind of like, um, you know, I I like to hike, so I always use hiking analogies, but it's kind of like climbing a mountain. You do literally do it one step at a time and you look and you can always see where you're trying to get to, or sometimes you can. Sometimes it's a false summit and you think you're almost at the top and then you get there. You're like, I still have so much more to go. And it's it can feel a little bit defeating, but then you turn around and look back and you're like, oh my gosh, but I also just came five miles and I did that. And then there's that part where you're like, and I also have to go back, but um, that's fine. I really think they should put an alpine slide on the tops of mountains, but I digress. Um, But when you're in it, like sometimes it is, it's just, what is the next thing that I can do that's going to move me in any direction? Like, I don't even want to say forward because sometimes you're not moving forward. Sometimes you feel like you're moving a thousand steps backwards. In 2020, on January 1st, 2020, this was almost three years after what had happened to my daughter and she ran away from home. And in the moment that she disappeared, it all happened so fast that I wasn't even sure that she had left intentionally. And so it was like, oh my gosh, did my kid just get kidnapped? 
did she run away? What happened? I just know that she's missing. And she was gone for 53 hours. And it was painful and heartbreaking. And when she came home, it was just like, I don't even know if my kid's going to live to see high school at this rate because we're just in such a dark, dark place. And I thought we had, I thought we had come through so much of the healing because she seemed to be doing okay. But I realized at that point she wasn't. And I was like, is she on another downward spiral? And I feel like that's the same thing as when we're going through health issues and we have like, we have the big gains, but then we have the huge setbacks. Um, that was a huge setback for us. And I didn't honestly see how we were going to recover well. Um, when she came home, the police were like, look, this kid is hanging out with some not great people. If she doesn't get on a different track fast, her option is prison or death. That's where she's headed if we can't intervene more quickly. And for the kids she's hanging out with, that is their future. Um, I'm proud to say that she's not there anymore. She's actually doing great. And she just started her senior year of high school and she's finishing her certified nursing assistant certification this year. And she's, she's doing very, very well. But in that moment on January 3rd, 2020, I never would have thought that today is possible. But now that I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, of course it was possible. We were just getting started and we just got through each day an hour at a time and now we're here wow that's yeah we talk about that all the time don't we all like it's not linear <laughs> and and sometimes desert and i will be like are we here at all i think i've done this 10 million times i asked myself this question I why is this here? i'm still <laughs> doing the same things how is it happening but that is such a good reminder like from 2020 to now your daughter went from a place of like, it was, I can only imagine as a mother, what that must feel like to be so terrified. Is she kidnapped? Did she run away? Is she okay? Is she not okay? There's so many like really scary things about her future. And now to see, yeah, she's doing okay right now. She did make yeah. it like, oh my gosh, if only you then could see that, but we can't. Like when we're in these moments, when we're on the mountain and we're locked and we're on the trail and we're just like, oh gosh, it started snowing or hailing or whatever. We get so scared and it feels so overwhelming. And I guess how in those moments, I heard you talking about being present, but like, do you have things that you really look back and you're like, that was such a go-to for me as part of my healing or as part of keeping me on the mountain and putting one foot in front of the other? Mm -hmm. A big piece of that is my community. I have worked really hard to surround myself with people. Um, Desiree and her husband, Mike, are two of those people that have been just absolutely amazing and supportive and um, somehow know how not to say all the wrong things that nobody wants to hear. But I think that that's <laughs> because of your own journey, right? Like both of you have experiences that you were able to relate to me in those moments, even if you couldn't fully empathize with what I was going through. And it helped me feel seen, right? And I think that when we are going through a healing process, that's really what we all want. We want to feel seen. We want to feel like we're not alone. Um, I grew up in a very, I want to say, the word I feel like that's right is suppressive 
Um, we didn't express emotions. We didn't talk about the things that were going on. We didn't share outside of our, our home. Like that's nobody's business, right? It, that was the way that I grew up. And so there was always a big level of shame in opening up and saying, hey, I'm going through this hard thing, which was really ironic for me because I grew up in the church. <laughs> and that's supposed to be the place where you have the safe haven and that you can go to people. And I think that there are churches where that is totally something that happens and I've experienced that. But growing up as a child, that wasn't something that we did. We don't bring our business to church. We always put on, um, my friend Pamela says it's the Christian pose, like everything's fine. We're fine. Everything's great. And that always was so hard for me because I'm like, wait a second, aren't we supposed to be bringing our burdens and our brokenness to this place where we can find healing in one another? And once I found communities where I was able to do that and I was loved and accepted and it was, we're really sorry that you're going through this. How can we help? Rather than it's too bad that you made choices that have put you here and like having that judgment and that shame. And so once I found places where I feel loved and safe and accepted, the biggest two words that I've heard that are the most powerful is, Oh my gosh, me too. I think that that's why the Me Too movement was so powerful back in 2016, 2017, um, is because for the first time we were actually talking about the things that were ailing us. And I think that that's why the chronic illness community has been able like, to find each other. And that's why the domestic violence community has been able to find each other. And all of these communities where we're all on these various healing journeys is because we're finally feeling empowered to use our voices and say, hey, I've been going through this hard thing and I feel so alone and I feel like nobody in the world understands. And all it takes is for somebody else to say, me too. And you feel validated and you feel seen and you feel like you're able to connect in a way that you can actually talk about, well, what, what's worked for you? What hasn't worked for you? And start sharing notes and sharing trade secrets and all of these other things that give you tools that you maybe didn't know you had access to. Oh, I think that's one of the things I love so much about you, Eunice, is that you're such a storyteller. And like in your intro, you even mentioned, like I mentioned it, of course, but like you believe that stories help heal. And I'm such a believer in that too. And like you said, it, it, it's not so much that the specific story is what heals, it's that someone feels seen and they feel validated and they feel like, oh my God, I am not the only one. And I, we've talked about this so much, Beth, too, right? Like these emotions like shame or guilt or fear or anything really that we've come up with, even the trauma, it can fester left in the darkness, right? Like it just spins to this bigger thing than it, maybe not that even that it actually is, but just this... Um, thing that can be all consuming and it just riddles you with like, I can't do this. I can't do this. But the second you speak those words out and you tell someone else and they can say like, oh yeah, me too. Or, oh my gosh, this is how I can relate to that too. And I'm not alone in it. It's so powerful. And I think that like, it's literally why we started this podcast was to create community share so that people stories. could share stories. Yeah. Because I think Ever since I was a little girl, it's been my favorite thing in the world. I love reading people's stories. I love hearing people's stories. We'll definitely link a lot of Eunice's writing because, um, yeah, she's an incredible storyteller as well. But 
I think it's just so huge in that piece of validation. We talk about this with chronic illness a lot, but it's I've seen this over and over with any, um, not just health challenge or mental health challenge, but just any trauma, any um, hardship in life. That validation, I think, is more healing than the actual, the modalities, right? It doesn't really matter what the mode is. It doesn't really matter what path you went down. Beth and I talk about that all the time. For me, I know I've shared this before, so I'll keep it brief, but the turning point in my illness is when I had one doctor, he was this Harvard-trained medical internist after 30 years, like he'd been practicing for 30 years. He was the first person that told me, it's not in your head, I believe you, and it changed my life. And so I can see how deeply that's affected you too. And it's just that's why I love doing this. Well, and there's a there's a power to it's, uh, I am a huge fan of Brene Brown, so I will quote her all the time. Same, same, but same. she says, if we don't own our stories, our our stories own us. So there's also mm. a power in just owning your story and being able to talk about it and and have your own narrative and not have someone else telling your story because if you leave it out there for someone else to tell they will tell it, but they're going to tell it from their perspective. And that's the thing that I've learned, especially through like the trauma work is, yeah, there are, there are other people that have been party to my life. And we all have different perspectives on these different moments. But mine is the one that's true for me. And if I'm not telling it, then the story everyone else is hearing is someone else's. And that disempowers me. It's easy to believe that too when you start hearing everyone else's voice, or at least for me, that was true. So yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, there's there's been a lot of unpacking of things, but even just untangling your identity from the stories that other people have created around you, around your illness, around your experience, it's amazing how hard it is to let go of some of that. Sometimes it's like, oh well. If I and Beth, you talked about the grief piece earlier, and I think there's a big grief piece of just grieving this person that we once were, and there's also a grief piece of grieving the person that we're shedding that's not us, that's someone else's idea of who we are. Oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. I think that is so well said because it is both. It's like this this idea of who we were, but then there, you're right. We take on other people's stories or even more so, which I've learned from my own healing process is learning that through trauma, I took on stories from a child's perspective that, that like, how else could I have made sense of that? You know, it was a really violent, scary, traumatizing experience. And I was a kid trying to make sense of these things, you know? And so it's like having the update sometimes the way I made sense of the world from a child's mind was like, this is happening because of me. I, yeah. I'm doing something, right? Or I'm not loved enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy enough. And like all of that was just running in the background. I had no idea, like really had no idea because I had all these like seemingly really well-adjusted parts that were just like achieving and yeah. looking like they were just rocking life, you know? And underneath it all, I was like, not life not at all you know and thank god my body was like this doesn't really go together we're not really sure what's happening here but you're telling yourself one thing you're living this life sit down please (laughs) for for a long time sit down and really and be with it but yeah i mean it's so true you're having to shed the stories other people put on us and the in the stories we put on ourselves because we didn't know how to make sense of senseless things right 
Yeah, I'll never forget the day that I learned that my overachieving type A tendencies are totally rooted in trauma. And I'm like, oh, huh. And my sister and I have a conversation about that all the time of like, well, but who would we be if we weren't these women who are, you know, overachievers, who are always striving to be the best, even if the foundation for why we are that way was because that was the safest option for us growing up. I don't know that I want to let go of that part of me because I really enjoy who I am when I'm being a rock star. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that highlights how much we get to start just choosing because before it wasn't a choice. It was something that you had to do. And now it's like when you come into this healing work, it's like you start to become aware of so much. It can feel a little overwhelming sometimes if people are stepping into this work like, oh, my gosh, this is all. Yeah, it really is because you're recreating a life, you know, and not always by choice initially. Your body's sitting you down if your mental health is sitting you down with panic attacks or whatever it is. It's like you're forced to do something different. But then even if you have parts that were born from trauma or they got really extreme from trauma, from this new place, we get to look at them and create and choose. And we might choose that same part, but it's from a place of awareness. And like, I'm doing this for me, not because I'm running. Yes, that's so beautiful and so powerful. I love that. Yeah. I think that that's one of the interesting things. Um, I'll speak to more chronic illness because that's my experience, but just seeing that, oh, the actions I'm taking now might look the same on the outside, some of them, but they feel so totally different. And that's really the key for me. And I think that's really, that was very hard for me to understand for a very long time. I felt like I had to reject everything that was previous, right? To who I was, like everything. And the truth of it was, is oh my gosh, there's these beautiful parts that did help keep me safe. And maybe they didn't always go about it the the best way or the way that was most beneficial to me now, but I get to choose to keep the parts of that that are really beneficial to me now. And I wouldn't be who I am. Just like you said, it sounds so cliche and so cheesy, but I wouldn't be who we are without going through these experiences, right? And I think that there are parts in the story where, I don't know, or at least there were parts for me, I will speak for myself in the story where I was like, yeah, sure, people really appreciate this, I'm sure. Or like, you know, I could have the facade of that, but it, underneath I was just like, fuck this, I hate it. Like, this is the worst, you know? <laughs> or like, I don't want to actually do this. I was really great with the words of it, but the actu- the actuality of that and the like, you talked about the growth process, Eunice, and it's just like, oh, there's such a huge difference between understanding this here and understanding it here in my yes. heart, right? And saying like, oh, okay, this is literally where I get to step in and practice this and heal this and change this. And so I just find it also awesome. So interesting. Yeah. I think about the number of days that I spent crying in the parking lot, the Jefferson County Courthouse. <laughs> I was like, why? Why are we still going? Why are we still here? Why? Why? And it was just this constant Why? Um, and I still don't have an answer for that. And I've reconciled that I may never have an answer for that, which has also been a big part of my healing process is just accepting that there are some things that I will never know. And that's okay. Yeah, that made me curious for you, because I think when I think of my own healing journey and those questions of why and, and why is this happening to me, my spirituality played such a big part in that and, and my spiritual position then is very different than it is now. That was like one of the biggest pieces of me healing what was inside was 
kind of my beliefs about myself in the greater existence and how kind of how beliefs as a child had really negatively impacted me through, you know, sort of like you were speaking to Eunice around religious communities that inadvertently taught me to be really, really scared of my existence and that I'm not safe even with like the idea of a creator or a God. Um, and when you're a kid growing up in trauma and no one's saving you from that, you start to like, oh, it's because that creator God that's so scary doesn't love me because if that God loved me, they would put me out of this terrible experience, right? And so coming through in chronic illness, that was really like the very, very heart of um, so much that was hurting in me that I, I didn't even know. And so when you mentioned that about your experience and having to go into religious communities and like, you're kind of like, wait, we're supposed to be doing this thing of like being vulnerable and like bringing it to God. But here we are like pretending that we all have it together. And it just sends these really confusing messages, you know, and it sounds like you found community elsewhere. But I was curious just more broadly around your spiritual path and your healing and what that has looked like and, and where maybe it's been challenging and also helpful in your journey. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because my my spiritual connectedness has ebbed and flowed in so many weird ways <laughs> that I'm like, I don't even really know where I stand right now. <laughs> um, but because you know, I grew up in the, you know, put it in the master's hands was what my great grandma used to say. And uh, and I only know this because I went to her funeral, not because I actually knew her. <laughs> but um, it it was like, okay, well, if I'm putting that in the master hands and then the other, the other one you always hear is God will never give you a greater burden than you can handle. And there would be so many times when I'm like, dude, seriously, I'm about to break here. And I've, I have had enough. And like, I don't know why I need to carry this burden. And I don't know why this is happening. And it's like, no, not everything happens for a reason, but also like, I didn't, do something bad to deserve this because I also don't believe in a God that's cruel. <laughs> that's like, oh, you've been bad. Therefore, you're going to have all of these horrible things happen to you and you're going to get cancer and you're going to have chronic illness and spend years in a de debilitating position and you're going to have massive trauma. I don't I don't believe that there's a God that exists that would do that to people um, while also saying I love you so much that I would die for you. Um, and so it's it's caused me to really reflect back on what are the communities that are recognizing that you are a person who is hurting. And the belief system that I have is that because you're hurting and I have capacity to help you, that's what I'm going to do instead of like shame you and push you into a corner and make you feel worse for the situation that you're in. And those communities have shown up in so many different forms. Some of them have been church some of them have been friends. Some of them have been books that I've read. It's just been very interesting the way that these challenges have really tested my faith and also caused me to look at it in a different container than what I'm used to seeing it in, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yes. I think, Beth, we're both nodding along. We can definitely relate. The conversation we have all the time is I don't believe that, but I don't believe that. I don't fit there and I don't fit there. So I don't really know where I fit or what I believe, but I do know what I believe and I do know where I fit. Like it is literally 
like almost every time we talk, we're like, I don't know. I just am the weirdo. But I think it's so interesting. More and more people I see go through the healing journey, whatever that looks like. I don't mean to say that there's one healing journey, but these paths, this, I guess this lifetime that we're in, I see people come to that and like, it can't be just a box because we felt healing and we felt something greater than us if you want to, or however you want to say it in so many different places from so many different things, right? That it's not just as simple as like, this is the path, this is what you must believe or otherwise you're bad. And of course that doesn't fit. We have such a deep knowing all of our little hearts when we were little knew that it was more than that, right? Like intuitively Mm -hmm. knew that. And then we spent a lifetime being conditioned to learn otherwise. And now we're spending the rest of our lifetime deconditioning that, like, you know? <laughs> so I just think it's, yeah, so interesting. What about you, Beth? Well, and at, feel- the end, at the end oh. of the day, like, I feel like my faith continues to get reaffirmed through these small moments, right? Like, the reason that I ended up at the shop on opening day was because our mutual friend was like, hey, what are you doing right now? My friends could use help, and I know you need a job. And it was like, yeah, I'll, I'll show up. I can help for sure. I was planning to help for that day, maybe the next day. And, you know, two and a half years later. <laughs> I think you even helped like three, three or more years later a couple I, times. <laughs> you I, saved all us I know so many times. I, I quit <laughs> and I was on the payroll for at least two more years. <laughs> but it was just like. Forever grateful. <laughs> it was, it was exactly what I needed in that Same. moment but it was so much more than what i knew i needed right it was i needed income and a sense of purpose and all of these other things and i got so much more than that i got community i built friends i felt loved i found you know chosen family on top of it and so it's all of those little things that always reaffirm my faith of whatever it is that it's like we always have exactly what we need at exactly the right time. Even if it feels like the whole weight of the world is going to crush us and demolish us and then it relieves us at the last possible second, everything shows up right on time. I think it's so interesting how what kept coming up for me as you were describing the kind of spiritual process and then your connection to Desiree and how that really solidified your faith because me too. It's like I had a nudge to go to this um, this forum for people with autoimmune disease and Lyme disease. And I was really, really sick and Desiree was there. And like, I didn't want to, I didn't feel like going. I didn't feel good. And had I not gone that day, you know, like this beautiful soul who's been such a key piece of my heart and in my healing journey wouldn't be here. And so I guess two things were coming up as you were talking about that, Eunice. One, that place where you're like, I don't really know what I believe, not really know where I am. I think what I've noticed in the spiritual community, whether you're talking about a religious group or even I started to notice um, in like the psychedelic community or even like the new age community, wherever there is spiritual hunger, there will be people who do not handle that position well of bringing community together. There is always, it seems like, harm in all of these communities. So the second piece that was coming up as I was hearing you describe that and us talking about how we found Desiree and found each other is like this idea of intuition. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious for you, you know, how has that guided you through communities knowing like 
this one, but not that one, or these people, but not these people, or, you know, this path, but not that path. The best part of being trauma-ridden your whole life is you've learned how to listen to your gut because it always is trying to keep you safe, right? Um, it's funny, though, because at the beginning, in, in the, the beginning of 2020, with all of this stuff with my daughter and all these other things, the marketing business that I had started right before I met Desiree and because I had steady income working um, at the coffee shop enabled me to launch that business and then at the beginning of 2020 i met with my business coach and i was like oh my gosh i've hit all my goals we set out two years ago and i don't want to do this anymore and so she was like <laughs> okay i'm like i just feel like this isn't my place i feel like this isn't my purpose i feel like i need to write a book i need to tell a story i need to talk about what i just came through in these last couple of years People need to know that the system doesn't work the way that we are told that it does in school. And, you know, this is all before the pandemic even set in fully and ever, the world shut down and racial justice was at the front of everybody's minds and we were all exhausted by our own existence. But I knew that what I needed to do was start getting into more writing, more storytelling, more speaking. And the week before the world shut down, my friend invited me to come to her speaking circle to hear her practice her TEDx talk. Here I am in this speaking circle, and I've been doing public speaking for years at this point. But it was always from this like super masculine, super linear, super I have to be perfect. I have to hold my hands right by my sides, and I have to stand in a certain spot, and I have to do like there's all these rules to being a good public speaker that I had been taught through all of the coaching that I had and practice that I had done to that point. And then I go to the speaking circle and we're dancing and we're speaking from our, our we're literally speaking from our gut and our intuition, completely off the cuff, completely spontaneous. And it didn't scare me at all. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. Let me, let me hear more about this, this, this joint. Right. So and Kelly, the woman who was hosting the circle, was like, oh, yeah, I would love for you to come. And then the world shut down a week later. So we pivoted to Zoom and that was fine. But I spent all of that summer in my women's speak circle. And every single time that I was like, oh, I just don't feel kind of like when you were think saying best before how you met Desiree is like you didn't want to go. But then there was something in you that told you, no, I need to be there. And every single time I would leave those meetings feeling uplifted and whole instead of more drained. And I was like, there's something to this. So when I got the opportunity to get trained as a certified leader, I was like, yep, I'm doing it. And then I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, <laughs> but I was like, it'll, it'll work itself out. And like the very next week I got a project that was twice the amount of money that I needed to be able to pay for this certification. And I was like, okay, there we go. And it was just, I just knew that this was the right time. This is what I needed to do. I said, yes, I leapt. <laughs> and I was like, I hope there's a net down there that's going to catch me or that I sprout wings somehow <laughs> and I learn how to fly. So sometimes it really is like it's terrifying, but sometimes you really do just have to listen to your gut. Even when your brain is like, that's ridiculous. What are you thinking? <laughs> are you crazy? Because definitely my brain is kind of an and says those things to me all the time but I really have to just trust everything is going to work out 
because I trust and know that it's meant to work out because I can feel it in my gut. Really, really crucial. And like listening to your gut, feeling into, I loved what you said, you would feel uplifted. Like that really is when you know community is healing. Because I know Desiree and I both, we, um, we both had our own experiences with like support groups that, that, that wasn't the feeling we were left with. And I, you know, have compassion for people involved in the group I was in and what they were trying to do, but it felt like the me too and the validation became a snowball of let's just stay in pain Mm -hmm. instead of like me too validation and how do we kind of make meaning and bring something healing to this space. And so listening to your gut is so important because your mind might be like, well, this checks the boxes or it seems good or it should be good or it should be helpful. And really like there's that little something in you and your gut in that little small voice that's just like, maybe this isn't it. Maybe this isn't the way to go. And maybe this one is. Maybe this is healing. Healing and and feeling whole is always a good sign of that, right? Well, and I think that's a great example of if you're walking away not feeling great or not feeling like yourself or feeling drained, that's a good sign. But another gut check, right, of maybe this isn't the community for me. And I've definitely been parts of communities like that, too, where and I think a lot of people get stuck in this of like, oh, I paid so much or I've put so much in or I just need to give it another try. And we get stuck in that sunk cost fallacy of I've invested so much, I have to at least get what I put into it out. And it's like, no, if it doesn't feel right, just go. You're doing yourself a, a huge disservice by continuing to stick around. That reminds me, have you ever heard the saying, um, just because you spent a long time making a mistake, it doesn't mean you should continue to keep making it. That's a mantra I've had to adapt in my life because I'll be like, but I put so much time and so much effort. And there's like everything being like, it's not the right path and you know it, but you can keep doing this if you want. It's going to be terrible. Like, I think about this one. Uh, one time I went to go pick up my friend from the airport and it was like uh, there was some construction going on in, in the construction garage. So it's like as you're pulling in, it has this huge sign that says vehicles over X feet don't come in here. Huge orange sign. You can't miss it right as you pull in. So that's your first your first bailout point of like, oh, my vehicle is bigger than that. And then it's like another one that's like, no, seriously, we really mean it. If your vehicle is bigger than this, really don't come here. And then it's like, no, seriously, this is your last chance. And then I see, (laughs) and I have a picture of it on my phone somewhere. And then I see the sign where it's like bent like this because somebody clearly missed all of the signs beforehand. And they're like, I'm going in. I'm going in anyway. I'm doing it anyway. And I That's guarantee, me in a nutshell. I guarantee that person was like, oh, crap. Yeah, they really did mean that I can't actually. Oh, that is such a great metaphor. To the- and I think it, to give ourselves like compassion when we do that, because I can think of communities or situations that, in the end, aren't the right long-term fit. But wow, I sure learned something about myself being in the midst of what didn't fit, whether that's a spiritual community or, you know, whatever support it is. It's like, that was really helpful to see, "Mm, not quite it, you know, and to stay there and to really feel into that because it's like that paradox, right? Of 
to belong, we have to kind of not belong. We have to kind of feel like this is the not right way, or this is the way that I'm learning something, but don't stay here. Don't, don't maybe do that again. Yeah. My friend Maureen says it the best way. Like she gave me this biggest shift in perspective earlier this year, because I always think about like, um, we, we have everything in this binary of like success and failure. And she's like, you know, I don't really believe that there's such a thing as failure. I think that there's experiments that we conduct and we learn information that allows us to conduct more experiments. Does it sometimes turn out the way we thought that it would? Sure. But sometimes it turns out not the way we thought it would, but there's still value in that learning. And so we have to be willing to put ourselves into the experiment to get the learning out, regardless of what the outcome is. Yeah. Oh, I love that too. And I love that too, as someone who has experienced spiritual trauma, we've talked about it all the time, of course, and sounds like both of y'all had as well. So, um, but I think that like, for me, I almost learned to be superstitious about like, if I make the wrong decision, then this will happen. It's bad and it's good and it's this. And so the way you're speaking about that, it's so true. What if it's not a bad decision? Maybe it just wasn't the absolute best premium decision you could have made for yourself. And best is maybe the wrong word too, but maybe like it took me down a little side path, but I did learn something there too. And it always works out. It always does. And I always think about that. That's part of the healing too. It's just allowing whatever the circumstances to be and to know that I've been cared for a hundred percent of the time up until now. And so that's going to continue to be the case. And I don't, I'm I'm not going to be punished if I don't hear my intuition perfectly or if I don't, you know what I mean? Right. Swallow through. Right. And there's yeah. there's always something that can be learned. Like I just finished yeah. working on a, a podcast project with a friend and we're doing a comparison of business lessons to a TV show based off of a video game. So it's been very interesting because I am not a gamer and that is not a show that I would have picked for myself. But so I'm going to use a different <laughs> metaphor because I think about like the one video game that the only video game I'm good at is Super Mario Brothers. And so just yes. thinking about like how when you're first learning that game, like you go and you jump and you try to hit everything because you're like, I need to know which one of these magic bricks turns into something. And then you find it, you die. The next time you go through, you know exactly where to hit that magic brick and you get the you get the reward right away and you continue on and you continue further. But it is totally a trial and error process up until you have the knowledge and you have the experience. And so I feel like sometimes I'm always banging my head against bricks trying to make gold come out of it. But sometimes <laughs> sometimes I get an extra life out of it too. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely think about that one. I think I've definitely banged my head on some gold bricks a few times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> same, same. That's all part. I feel like that's all part of the healing process too, right? Is like mm-hmm. you're trying things. I-, I can't tell you how many random things I have tried just because I'm like. I just need some relief. I need to feel something or I need to not be in pain or I need to work out this anger or whatever the case may be. Um, And so I'll try different things and sometimes they're amazing. And sometimes I'm like, okay, that didn't work for me, but that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to get it right. It might've worked for somebody else and and people will be like, oh my gosh, you should try this, 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 this. Okay, great. I, I will receive that. I will try it maybe. And and I'm also okay if whatever it is that worked for you didn't work for me. Yeah. Really going back to that intuition and being able to kind of feel that out for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I guess as a 
one of our final questions. I was I was curious, you know, just thinking about it, always thinking about the people who are listening who were like I was once, like sitting, feeling really scared, feeling really alone, feeling like I am not here where you are, Eunice. Like, you know, like feeling maybe earlier in their journey where everything just feels really confusing and, and they don't quite see the trail, so to speak. I'm I'm wondering if you were speaking to that kind of a person who's just really feeling lost and discouraged, you know, and I know that you have your own experiences of that, like the lowest points of your pain. Is there anything that you really want to speak to to make sure that person hears? Yeah, that's a great question because this is exactly what I coach my speakers to talk about is like, think about yourself when you were two or three steps behind where you are now. And what would you have said to that person to help them along that path? That's exactly what I ask. Uh, Because so many people are trying to find all the right answers and try to find um, the right thing. And so I know it's cliche, but we have all survived 100% of our worst days. Um, There are days when it doesn't feel like that is even possible. And that's okay. There are days when you're like feeling on top of the world and feel like you can conquer anything too. So like, remember that there's, there's the ebbs and the flows. There's always going to be those days where you feel like you're making so much more progress. And then there's those days where you feel like you're on American Ninja Warrior and you get knocked back by the, the thingamajiggy. That's the technical term. And all of a sudden you're in the water and you're like, oh wait, how did that happen? Um, But just like be kind to yourself and be gentle to yourself, specifically because everything that you're dealing with is already hard enough. You don't need to beat yourself up on top of it to get through it. Um, Being kind and loving towards your own self is probably one of the best things you can do of just remembering that you are whole, you are enough, and you are worth fighting for. Yeah, well said. That's what I was going to say, too. Um, I think that that, I don't know, I can probably speak for you, too, Beth, although I wouldn't want to. I just, I think we've all been through that where it's like hating myself was one of the hardest things to heal from and, and loving myself was one of the hardest things for me. And so just even beginning with that kernel of like, okay, how can I show myself grace? And for me, I had to remove myself from the equation, which sounds weird, but I had to make it be a part and be like, okay, how can I be kind to this part of me? Or how could I be kind to this person if they were my best friend and they weren't just me, like separate best friend, you know? And that really helped me to be like, oh my God, I'm being to myself. Like, why am I doing this? I would never do this to someone else. So I think that that's really well said and really beautiful. Yeah. My friend Britt said one time, she said, if we spoke to each other the way we speak to ourselves it would get real ugly real fast and that has stuck with me because I'm like wow yeah I would never say the things to somebody else that I say to myself ever yeah and just to put a, a kernel of hope out there for anyone who is feeling that so deeply right now, and just we've all been through that, all three of us here, but I'm sure mm-hmm. there are millions of others that are in the same boat. Um, you can you can heal that. It's not perfection, but I can tell you that the journey to loving myself, like I couldn't 
I literally didn't think it was possible to love myself like I do now. And I really was like looking back at that mountain, like you said, Eunice, where I was just like, oh my, oh my God, I've come from there. I'll have a bad day and like being something. And I'm like, yeah, but I used to be down there and I used to beat myself up for everything. And I genuinely had some horrible beliefs for, about myself. And now I can say, I genuinely am like, you're doing the best you can do. I'm so proud of you. Great job mm-hmm. at being it with everything in me. So there's mm-hmm. that hope to put out there. And there's always you, more. You yes. never get to the end of your compassion. Yes. That's what I've learned is like, I don't Oof. arrive at a place of, there it is. Now I love myself. Check that box. Because there's a part of me that would really like to do that. <laughs> Too bad, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Dang. <laughs> oh, but there's always more. It's never mm. done. And that's a really good thing because it's nourishment. And when you learn to put it in and stop just giving it out. Um, yeah. it, it can just be the most amazing relationship that I never knew I needed. Oh, oh yes. my gosh. I, feel like I know that, that I is feel like, that's where we need to end. <laughs> that's a good note to end on. I was just going to say the same thing. Unless you all have anything else, Eunice, do you have anything that, else that you'd like to add? This mic drop moment. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. let's put it out there. Oh. Well, I guess one one question is, I know we said at the beginning, but Eunice, if people want to find you and... Um, connect with you. What is the best way to do that? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram because that's basically where I live at Eunice Brownlee or my website's EuniceBrownlee.com. This has been so fun. Thank you. It's like, it's so cool to just meet you. I've known you through Desiree and um, it's fun to hear our healing stories and like how how we've all connected here. Yeah, And it's fun to know you now directly instead of just ancillary through your stories. From listening yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> I know, like Beth or Eunice, Beth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we got to do this. Um, yeah, thank you both so much for being here. But thank you, Eunice, for coming on and just being so vulnerable and sharing your story. I know that it's going to touch mm-hmm. so many people and just be healing because it's inevitable when we show up authentically and share our stories. So yep. thank you all for being here. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>